morning and to, uh, I, think, I think I'm about, about back to normal now and glad to see everyone here. And those that are visiting this morning, we're very glad to have you with us and uh, we pray that you will be blessed by being here this morning, worshiping the Lord with us. We're back in the Gospel of John now in chapter 11 as we read this morning our passage. As we look at this passage, we, we need to remember that Jesus and his disciples had retreated into Galilee. And while they were there, word came to Jesus that his friend Lazarus had died. Jesus told his disciples that the death of Lazarus, his friend, was not a permanent thing. That he had just fallen asleep. And I think I'll say a word about that this morning because there was a question even this morning about this this whole idea of sleep and death. For the believer, when a believer dies, it is as though they are asleep. Because the soul has been separated from the body and the soul has gone to be with the Lord. And that soul, one day, that is now with the Lord, will be returned to the body that's in the grave. And that body will be resurrected and it will be changed to a, yes, a physical body, but one that is also celestial. It will be a body like Jesus had when Jesus was resurrected, and he appeared before his disciples. He said, touch me and feel that I am, I'm like you, but I'm resurrected. I, he had a glorified body. It was one that wasn't subject to, to sin or time or any of the things that bodies now are, are subject to. So when a, when a Christian dies, it is as though he was asleep, he's asleep. When an unbeliever dies, their soul is separated from their body as well. But that soul is plunged into punishment, into torment. As we see in Luke chapter 15, the rich man died and in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. There is a final resurrection that we will see. And that that involves both the believing and the unbelieving. So... So when a person dies and Jesus says to his disciples, he is asleep, that's exactly what he meant. That Lazarus was going to be raised from the dead and his soul would be reunited with his body. So I hope that helps clear up some of that. Jesus loved Lazarus and his sisters and instead of leaving immediately for Bethany when he heard that Lazarus had died. He stayed two more days on purpose because he had been given instruction by his father in heaven that he would wait there until Lazarus was in the grave. And Jesus knew that he was going to raise him from the dead. By that time, after he had reached Bethany, Lazarus had been buried for four days, as we see here in verse 17. And the reason for the delay was so that God would be glorified and receive glory as to what was going to happen next. Jesus told them, his disciples, 
that he was glad that he wasn't there in Bethany when Lazarus had died or close by, so that his disciples would see what he was going to do and believe. You have to remember at this time the Holy Spirit had not yet been given. And so the works that Jesus did during his earthly ministry were to show that he was indeed the Christ, he was God in the flesh, and that people would believe in him. He wasn't glad that Lazarus had died because Lazarus was his friend. He wasn't joyful over the death of his friend, but he was anticipating the glory of God and that would strengthen his disciples. Much more, raising a man from the dead would much more cause them to believe who he was than just simply healing a sick man from his sickness. Jesus wanted his disciples to believe that he was the sovereign Lord over life and death and that he had the power of resurrection. He was going to show them what that looked like. And so he would clarify that with Martha as we read this morning, and we'll look at that in just a moment. So in their lack of understanding, all that was happening, Jesus plainly told them that Lazarus had died. And so on approximately the third day away in Galilee, he, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. That was a shock to the disciples because, he, if you recall, he had left Judea and gone to Galilee because they had threatened to stone him to death. They were trying to kill him. But yet, he was willing to go back and they were willing to go with him. As a matter of fact, it was Thomas who said, let us go and die with him. They, they thought if he went back to Judea, this would be it. And they were right in one sense. But he wouldn't be stoned by the Jews as they had threatened to do before. He would be turned over to the Roman authorities. You know, many times we wonder about things that happen to us and the timing of those things. Why has this happened to me now at this particular time? Have you never asked yourself those questions? I think we all have. But what we must understand that is in all happenings and all circumstances, they are controlled by God and He works through them so that they bring Him glory and us good. Even the worst things that we think can happen to us. So it will all turn out good one day. And God will show us how He weaves them all together to glorify Himself and make it good for us. <coughs> how He's going to do that is a mystery. I don't know how He's going to bring all those terrible things that we think have happened to us together and it be good in our sight. But it will be. Because that's what he says. And we have to trust him for that. Now that brings us to verse verse 17. But before we go there, I want to just, 
I want you to just look at verses 9 and 10. So back up just a little bit and notice what it says. Jesus answered his disciples when they said, uh, you're going to go back to Judea. They tried to kill you. Look what he says. Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Now, what is he saying here? Well, Jesus is speaking in symbolic language of the Jewish understanding of time. The Jews understood time as being uh, 12 hours and 12 hours. The day was 12 hours and the night was 12 hours. And it's really that, it's really the same for us. Now, we operate uh, under a, a, a clock that shows us the light and shows us the darkness. And for us, some of the daytimes are very short and the nighttimes are very long. And sometimes the days are very long and the nights are very short. But in the Jewish mind, time was divided into two 12-hour segments. One was day, one was night. It didn't matter if it was dark or light. They were still 12 hours in each and every day. And so... If a person walks in the daytime, in the light, they can see what's in front of them. And it, they don't stumble. They don't fall. They can, they can maneuver around the things that would get in their way. But at nighttime where it's dark, particularly in places where there's no artificial light like we have, you fly across the United States at night, you can see the city is all lit up. But I just came back from a part of the world where when it gets dark, it is dark. And there's no light, mainly there are clouds almost all the time. So when, it, when darkness comes about 6 o'clock every day, and there near the equator it's divided into two 12-hour seg seg segments. So when it's 6 o'clock in the evening it gets dark and it doesn't get light until about 6 o'clock the next morning. And so you're, you're plunged into total darkness. If you have no artificial light, you better not move because you can't see anything. You don't know where you're going. And you could be in real trouble with things getting in your way. So what is Jesus saying by saying this? He is saying that the time allotted to me is already set to accomplish my earthly ministry just like the day and the night are set in two 12-hour segments. In other words, Jesus is saying, you, no, no better, no, you don't have power to change day or night, and there's nothing that's going to change what the Father has given me to do. That's what he's saying. His time on earth could not be lengthened by any measure, and the disciples or his enemies could not impose anything on him that would change anything. Everything was set perfectly and he fulfilled it perfectly. So if we walk in the light of his plan, if you and I walk in the light of his plan for us, then we don't have to worry about anything that gets in our way. Whether it's a tragedy or whether it's a, a failure or, or whether it's a loss, Nothing gets in the way of God's plan. He's planned our lives out. 
Our job is to stay obedient. Be obedient. And God then will take care of the rest. <clears throat> in fact, Paul writes of this in chapter 5 of Ephesians. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. So, Walk in the light. Walk in the light of the knowledge of Christ and His will from His Word in your life and in my life. As we walk in obedience to that, we don't have to worry about whatever comes to pass. God has it all under control. Now, that brings us back to verse 17. <clears throat> and we find this remarkable passage on the resurrection and the life. Lazarus has been dead for four days in the tomb. Martha was troubled and regretful that the, at the Lord's absence during Lazarus' sickness. Mary, the meek and ever thoughtful one, remained at home. And Jesus now comes with words of power and words of resurrection. <clears throat> we often... We often consider the Lord's delay in circumstances of life to be a negative thing. Martha certainly did in this instance. She, she saw the Lord's absence and Lazarus' death as a negative thing. And naturally, when someone passes, our loved one uh, dies, we've, we feel sorrow. We, we've, we feel a, a loss. She was feeling that. But we also know that life and death is not in our hands. It's in the hands of God. He's got our, the hairs of our head numbered, although some of us don't have as many as we used to. He's, he's got our hairs of our head numbered. He knows the days of our lives. He knows how long. Everyone has an appointment with death. There's nothing we can do to stop it. There's nothing we can do to extend it. When we see things in that negative light, then we have missed out on the blessing that God gives. And we, it's, it's almost like we deny that He can bring good out of it. But He can. And He will. Particularly in this instance. And there's such a great lesson here. God is never early. He is never late. He is always right on time. Now, it was the custom of the Jews who loved lost ones to mourn over them for several days. The bodies would be buried within 24 hours. But they would mourn for several days uh, after the death of a loved one. And we find this mourning and this sympathizing was a practice from the Old Testament. Job chapter 2, verse 11. Now when Job's three friends heard of all the evil that had come upon him, they 
each came to it from his own place. Eliphaz uh, the Tenemite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamite. They came and, and they made an appointment together to come show him sympathy and comfort him. This was, this was the custom. Now we do the same thing in a sense in our day here. When a person dies, we usually, uh, usually we'll have a service, a memorial service, the way a time of visitation. People are comforting the, the loss of the, those left behind in their loss. And generally, we keep up with them for several days after, see how they're doing. Do they need anything? This is a custom we have. But in the Jewish custom, when a person died, they would be buried within 24 hours, and the mourners would come, and they would, they would mourn the death of the individual with the family. And so what we see here is in the home of Martha and Mary, Lazarus has died, and now the mourners are there. This was not a... This was not a silent affair like we see in Job where they sat silent for seven days. By the time this custom came to be, the mourners would come and they would, they would mourn loudly. They would mourn. Uh, it, it wasn't a, a soft uh, affair, but a silent affair, but one with weeping and gestures of grief. In fact, many Jews who didn't have sufficient family or friends to mourn with them would hire professional mourners to come in and mourn for several days with them. <clears throat> this was probably not the case with, with Martha and Mary, for they would have been well known. They were friends with Jesus, and Jesus was well known, so there would have been a lot of people from Jerusalem. They came two miles away, to Bethany to mourn with them. Plus, they were rather well-to-do. And so, we know that because Lazarus was buried in a tomb. And only the wealthy could afford to have a tomb or a sepulcher. And so, Bethany, so there they are in the village of Bethany. Jesus had not yet entered into the town. So Jesus came and he most likely inquired about Lazarus, where he, where he was, how long had he been in the grave. Now, he would have known that, but you have to understand that Jesus got information from people just like you and I get information. So he finds that he's been buried. He's there for four days. In those, in those days... <clears throat> The dead having been already buried, Jesus comes to Bethany, just outside the town. Now we know that that length of time, a human body, any, any kind of flesh will decay and there would be an odor. In fact, Mary, uh, Martha said to him by... Where have you laid him? By this time, Lord, there's going to be an odor. She knew. It would be kind of an embarrassing thing to have, to have a tomb opened up and that smell, that smell of death come rolling out. But I think this is, 
recorded this way, and Mary said the same thing to him in verse 39. I think it's recorded this way to stress the magnitude of this miracle that is about to take place. Now let's set the scene for the following verses. Martha, the more aggressive and the more active of the two sisters, went out to meet the Lord. She, she heard that he was coming. She went out to approach him. I think Martha's aggressiveness is seen. Turn with me to Luke chapter 10, if you would, very quickly. We see Martha and Mary here in Luke 10, and we get a, an idea of their personalities and their activity. Verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, that would be Bethany, and, and a woman named Mary, or excuse me, a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which shall not be taken away from her. Wow, that almost sounds like a stinging rebuke. And in some ways it was. Because there are many of us who <clears throat> have that kind of Oh, let's, you know, I've I, I got to do this, and I've got to get this done, and I, oh, I can't let that go. And, and we get all anxious and uptight about, about what, what are we going to do next? And somebody, somebody, nobody's helping me. While Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening and soaking up all of his teaching, Martha is distracted. And I think many times we, I think many times we come to church that way. Let's be honest. And we start listening and what happens? We look out the window or we think about, oh, look, the sun's out today. I think maybe I could do this this afternoon and, and so on and so on. And, or uh, I wonder if I'm going to get this done because I've taken time out now to come to, the, come to, the, to church and be with the brothers. Am I going to have time to, to do this thing that I wanted to do? And we're distracted. The best part is to focus our mind and our attention on the Lord Jesus Christ. On the Word of God. So that we don't go home partially filled. But we go home full. Ready to chew on what has been said. There were many Jews that had come from Bethlehem, from Jerusalem to mourn with them. It was only two miles away. This provided an audience for the miracle that was about to take place. This was also very risky for Jesus 
to be so close to those who were a few days ago trying to stone him to death in Jerusalem. Martha received word that Jesus had approached the village, though he was not actually in the village, and so she left her house and went to meet him. Now, we're not told just how Martha got that information, but I, I think it's possible that Jesus would have sent a messenger saying, go tell Martha that I'm here. The others didn't know where Martha was going. They didn't get up and follow her. Mary was still there. So Martha goes to meet the Lord. She left the house. It would seem that the Lord wanted to talk with Martha alone. How am I going to get through to Martha? So she approached the Lord. She thought she the thought that had been prevalent on her mind and in Mary's mind is uttered. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now that wasn't a rebuke to the Lord. She's she's not sarcastic. She's not trying to level anything against the Lord. Uh, She's simply thinking in her mind, and now she's said it, that she thinks that if Christ, if Jesus had been near, he would have been there while Lazarus was sick, and he would have healed Lazarus, and he wouldn't have died. And that's very likely true. But I want you to notice her faith in the Lord's power as the Son of God. Martha did have faith in Jesus. Look at what she says. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give it to you. Is that a hint? Was that a hint to the Lord that she thought possibly he would bring Lazarus back from the dead? I think it's possible. But how did Jesus respond? Your brother will rise again. Well... Now, Martha had a good grasp on theology and and the promises of God. And yet, she, like the others that were there, did not connect the promises of God with the person of Christ. I know you could ask your Father in heaven, and He would give you whatever you ask. Martha... Your brother will rise again. What did he mean when he said that? If Martha was thinking that Jesus might possibly raise Lazarus now, it was only a glimmering hope. Because look what she says next. I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Now she had obviously been taught and she had that part right. He would rise on the last day, just like every believer would rise on the last day. Because Jesus said that everybody who was sent to him by the Father, he would save and keep, and he would raise them on the last day. She knew this. She's talking about the general resurrection of the saints. He was saying, no, Martha, 
He's going to rise today. He's going to rise now, immediately. She didn't get that part. Then Jesus speaks those words in verses 25 and 26 that live in eternal truth. Look at them. He said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who, li- who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? This was a challenge For Martha to move beyond her belief in an abstract view of the resurrection of the the saints to one that centered on Christ who is himself the resurrection and the life. For if Christ, Paul tells us, did not rise from the dead, then we're all still in our sins and we have no hope of anything. Martha had been taught these things by Jesus concerning himself. John chapter 5, verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. John 5, 25. Truly I say to you, the hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice. And they will come out, those who have done good, to the resurrection of life. And those who have done evil to a resurrection of judgment. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. John 6, verse 40. John 6, 44. I will raise him up on the last day. John 6, 54. I will raise him up on the last day. It's over and over repeated by Christ. He is going to raise the dead to life. But on this day, he would do it now. Martha knew these things. She believed them, but she doesn't relate them to the here and now. Her faith took her to the future. Jesus wanted her to see Him as the resurrection and life of the present. And she would see that when He raised Lazarus, her brother. Jesus is not bound by time. He will raise the dead in the future. But he also has power over death in the present. Now, notice that statement has two parts. The first deals with the physical aspect of faith in Jesus and the promise of resurrection in the future. It is true that when a person comes to faith in Christ and believes in Christ for salvation, they have the promise of being raised from the dead in the future. The other aspect of that is that of the eternal. One is the physical aspect. This is the eternal aspect. When a person believes on Christ, he gives them eternal life and they will never die spiritually. That's what he means. They will never die. Doesn't mean you don't die physically. Everybody dies physically. 
we're appointed to death. Every one of us has an appointment. We just don't know when it is. It could be today. It could be 20 years from now. For some of you, it could be 50, 60 years from now. And so, when, a, when a, he's saying that when a person believes they will never die, and because the life is eternal, it cannot be superseded or extinguished by physical death. That's why we have hope. That's why when, when believers die, we can rally around them and give them hope. We have a resurrection that is coming. Now, this is the fifth time that Jesus has used the I am statement. I am the resurrection and the life. Did she believe him when he said this? Yes, she did. Did she believe that he was the one that had the power over death? Yes, she did. He asked her point blank. Do you believe this? Her response, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. That is the statement of faith of every believer. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord, the Christ, who came into the world and died for sinners just like me. This is the confession of faith in Christ as Lord and Savior. She believed that He was the only source of life and hope of resurrection. This confession stands with some of the other great confessions of John's Gospel. We see it in chapter 1, verse 49. Chapter 6, verse 69. We see it in Matthew 14, verse 33 and 16, 16. Like Andrew, she confessed He was the Christ. And like John the Baptist... And Nathaniel and the other disciples, she affirmed that he was the Son of God. And she confirms that he was sent by God, the Father, into the world. <clears throat> now where is Mary in all of this? Mary is still at home, seated. It was the custom for those who were receiving the comfort from the mourners to sit and the mourners would gather around them and they would weep and, and they would try to console and comfort the ones who, had, uh, who were left behind. And so Martha ran and told her sister that Jesus was here and that he wanted to see her. So Mary got up. They both ran out of the house, and as they were running out of the house, the mourners see them going. Now, there's nobody to mourn for if they stay there by themselves. So they thought she was going to the tomb to mourn there, so they followed her. She ran. She was in a hurry. And her thinking was the same as Martha's initially, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And when Mary, when Mary saw Jesus, she came and fell at his feet. That's where you find Mary all the times that she's written of in Scripture. 
She always seems to be at the Lord's feet. She's anointing his feet with oil. She's wiping them with the hairs of her head. She is, she is listening to his teaching. She's always at Jesus' feet. And that's the place to be, folks. That's the place to be. This was a solemn time of mental suffering and bereavement. Mary was weeping. The Jews who came with her were weeping. Now, they weren't just weeping. The word that's used here is a word that means they were wailing. They were lamenting loudly. It was chaotic. This is what the pagans did. When someone would die... They would, they would wail and lament loudly. Sometimes they would cut themselves to show grief. They were making a, an intense commotion of sorrow. Jesus, seeing this emotional outpouring, says, was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Something was going on here. That was different from a normal, sad, weeping, and sorrow. The words deeply moved is used twice here and translates a word that is only used three other times in the New Testament. And listen to what it means. It means sternly warned, warned or scolded. That's the way it's used in other places. So what is Jesus feeling here? So behind this word is anger. He's feeling anger. He is, he is feeling condemnation and outrage. Why? Because what he's witnessing is what the pagans did. He became indignant. About their actions. These were, these were the actions of those who didn't quite believe that he could do anything about what had happened. They act as if there were no hope while hope, the hope of the world was standing right in front of them. This troubled Jesus greatly. The words greatly troubled... Describes an intensity of his emotions. He became very intense in his emotions. And certainly he would have been angry over sin that caused death of his friend Lazarus. But I think he was also angry and, and moved to anger by what he saw in these mourners. So Jesus asked where he was entombed. And they said, Lord, come and see. And this would indicate that those in the crowd, there were those in the crowd that either believed in him or they at least respected him as a prophet. It was at this point that we have the shortest verse in the Bible. This is the one that children love to Memorize. Jesus wept. However, this is a different word for weeping than what we see 
before of the mourners. This word weeping here is only used here in the New Testament. It's the only place. And it means to burst into tears and cry. Jesus literally burst into tears when he saw what was going on. Now, there have been a lot of speculation as to why Jesus wept here. But I think he was weeping for several reasons. Number one, he was weeping because of the terrible, destructive force of sin that had taken place. I mean, it was obvious. Every time you see someone dies, it should, it should bring up in your mind the destructive forces of sin in the world. But I think also Jesus was weeping because he was human just like you and me. And he had emotions just like you and me. Now some of us have different emotions than others. I'm not an over-emotional person. And sometimes that's not good. Sometimes that makes people think you don't care. My wife is very emotional. Doesn't take anything for her to... She feels everything that people feel. And so it's easy for her to burst into tears over things. Takes a little more for me. But Jesus is burst into tears here. His expression of love for Martha and Mary, his pure and holy care as a sympathizing high priest is evident here. He is weeping is also an expression of what the tomb means. He's standing now before the tomb. What does that mean? It means death, sin, that causes death. It means that sin has taken another victim. That sin has brought death into the world. Therefore, just as, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men, for all have sinned. So what's the remedy? The remedy is this. That Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Ask yourself. Do you believe that? That's the remedy. It's, it's belief. It's trust in Christ and Him alone for your sin problem. You say, well, I'll think about that later. You may not have later. Well, I'll, I'll think about that when I've got somebody to talk to. No. Now is the day of salvation. This very moment. Right where you sit. Turn from your sins and trust Christ. Take Him as your, as your treasure. Follow Him. Fall in love with Him. Res turn away from your sin. Repent of your sins. Now. You may not have another opportunity. Don't delay. You know, 
I often tell people when I'm talking to them about their soul, I often tell people, you may not have another breath because God holds the breath of every person in his hands and all he has to do is just release it and you stop breathing and you're gone. There's no more chance then. It can happen in seconds. It can happen in hours. Sometimes it can happen over months or years that we come to that place. But we don't know when. That's why we must be ready. When death knocks on our door. To say, I believe that you are the Christ. The Son of the living God. Who has come into the world. Now, next week, Lord willing, next week, if we're here, I'm going to show you something that is just absolutely astounding in this passage that you have probably never known or seen. Because I didn't know exactly how this all happened, but it is a, it is a marvel. No, it is no wonder that this miracle, this last miracle that Jesus does, is the greatest one. And it is a picture of the sovereign work of God in salvation like no other place in Scripture. That's next week. Don't miss it. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your love. We thank you for your, for your care of us. We thank you that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom we are all chief we're all the foremost sinners. We didn't deserve what you gave us. And we still don't deserve it. But you gave it to us. You gave it to us by your sacrifice on the cross. You took our place there. We should have hung there. We should have died there. We should have been punished but you took our place. We're so thankful. But Lord, there may be somebody in this room this morning who does not know you. They've never turned from their sin to you. They've, they've never been forgiven. I pray, Lord, you would draw that person to yourself and you would, you would save them and bring them into your family and Turn their lives around. I pray they'll repent of their sins and follow you. Thank you, Lord, for this Lord's Day and for the time we've had together. We pray that you would continue to bless, make our fellowship sweet this morning. May we encourage one another to stay in the way, not deviate from the path that you've set before us so that we will glorify your name here on earth and glorify it when we see you in heaven. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, just an announcement or two before we go.